Hey, 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 beautiful humans. It's the Juice Queen here, delivering all those ooey-gooey, drippy topics that will leave you simply drenched in curiosity and connection. So let's vibe over, you know, the juice, shall we? My name is Mila Mandolfo, and my sole mission is to make you feel seen, heard, valued, and validated in such a way that you remember who you truly are. And in that, you're never alone. This is a soft, safe, and sassy place where all of you is welcome. So come on, let's dive in. Hey, sex kittens. Today we have one of the juiciest and most highly requested topics, sex. Sex as play, sex as pleasure, sex as practice, sex as self-discovery. And because this topic is so layered, I want to give a disclaimer that I might be pausing in between to make sure that I get everything in. So let's explore sex as play. So when we're children, we literally use play innately, of course, because this is something that just comes natural to children. We use play, whether it be um, like imagination or creativity and creation and crafts or imitation like of our parents and things like this, um, to literally build neurons and grow and learn and observe and integrate our surroundings into um, who we are. So there's this element of creativity and imagination. It's this play that we're engaging in. Unfortunately, as we age, we tend to fall out of touch with our innate ability to play. And um, actually, in the beginning of this series, there's an episode called Play Paves the Way Towards Purpose. And we dive into a lot more over there. But let's come back to sex as play. So sex... Sex is another form of creative energy, right, that resides within us all. And when we view sex as like an apparatus or a playground in which we can explore ourselves, um, for example, we don't know that we love the monkey bars or the sandbox until we're actually at the playground experiencing it. We don't know that we don't like to play ball with Johnny because he doesn't share unless we've actually played ball with Johnny. Or um, we don't know that our best friends are Jane and Sally until we're actually at the playground um, playing Foursquare or whatever with them and like experiencing the joy that they bring. So sexual interaction becomes this, it's this fun shared experience. Um, We're often operating from this internal dialogue, this internal lens with ourselves. I mean, of course, we're having conversations and we're having interactions at work and this, that, and the other thing. But sex, sex becomes this little intimate excursion with one person or more than one person. Um, And so once, once there's this shared sexual energy, like a palpable energy that you guys are sharing, this uh, frequency of sexual tension and play and pleasure, um, there's, I don't know, it starts with like the courting and the flirting and like perhaps some, you know, over time there's touching, maybe even just the smell of someone, right, can be arousing. There's all these sex hormones that are 
there's chemicals released in the brain when we simply find someone attractive. Um, and then again, with the scent, um, when you first taste someone or that, you know, again, you're smelling their pheromones, um, there is this huge apparatus, this playground to explore with them. Um, so you can, of course, explore the playground of sex with yourself. And what I mean by that is kind of like building your own pleasure map with self-pleasure is the point here. Um, you will, over time, um, find what brings you pleasure. You know, what feels good in your body. You'll find that out on your own, like... Every young, every every human has a story of when they were young, when they first, <laughs> when they first realize that there's a pleasure point in their body, right? Um, or the first um, boner, basically. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe they. I remember I had like tinglys in the pants when I first saw this certain commercial that was really like sexy or something. <laughs> it was like a gum commercial, and I was like, um, I don't know, like seven or some shit but um and, and I also want to bring in here for a second that from age seven to 14 is when we're actually in our sacral chakra like we are experiencing um illumination in that area and so we start to become aware of our 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 different sex organs and um, it's, it's interesting to me because often that's too young, I'm doing air quotes, for parents to want to be open with their kids about sex and stuff. But when we realize that it's literally just part of growing up and puberty and like this is a human nature, we can invite parents to be more um, understanding and less like shameful basically because I know that I've, I knew about sex and what it was and things about it, um, not the full shebang, but you know, I knew it existed far before any parent tried to fucking tell me, right? And so when we like keep all this stuff like secret and weird, um, that's what creates the like shame piece and like, it's just confusing for young kids. I personally believe that we should just be totally transparent all the time with our kids over everything. But um, it's especially important around this age. Any age that a child is curious is when you need to treat them with respect by being honest, by using um, correct anatomy words like penis and vagina and vulva, all these different words and not um, sugarcoating it and Let's stop um, treating children like they're dumb because they're truly not. I know that most of these listeners right now can agree that you knew way more about way more things <laughs> at a younger age than the adults around you wanted to think that you did. You, you see what I'm saying here? Like adults want to believe that children don't know shit when really they're in the playground like cussing and talking about their fake first periods and like <laughs> making really silly, stupid, nonsensical sex jokes because they literally don't really get what's going on. Um, when we can serve our children with like the basic fundamentals of like what's going on, then they can just be educated <clears throat> and informed. Um, and we can start practicing 
respect and um, things like consent. Not, I'm not saying like sexual consent. Like the thing is, because it's similar to like uh, to like alcohol laws, right? Like in Europe, most places in Europe, the legal drinking age is like 16. <clears throat> Obviously, in the U.S., it's 21. That doesn't mean people over in Europe are getting fucking shit-faced and, like, alcoholics by age 17. No. If anything, being informed and having that education and that freedom from a younger age makes him more educated um, to make appropriate decisions. So I'm not saying, like, hand out condoms to your young, you know, preteens. I'm saying just use proper anatomy and answer questions when a child is curious instead of shunning them and making them feel ashamed for being a human being. So anywho, sex as play, when you're around someone that you're attracted to and you're having this sexual like tension and um, connection, there's so many avenues to creatively express the, the, um, the attraction that literally has nothing to do with um, penis and vagina penetration. There is so much to offer in like, again, the courting phase, like um, when you're pursuing someone and then you're building all that yummy energy. But then again, there's also um, the foreplay itself. So there's touching, licking, kissing, smelling, massaging, um, just, pillow talk, chatting, there's just so much yumminess that the penetration itself, first of all, isn't even necessary. You can be having sex and sexual experiences without penetration. You can be a sexual being without penetration. It doesn't define sex. Penetration doesn't define sex. Um, there are human beings who will never have that type of penetration like penis and vagina penetration because they don't identify that way and they don't want to be having that sex. That doesn't mean that there are non-sexual humans just because they're not having that specific penetrative experience. So when we get to explore play as a playground with another person, or ourselves. Um, so sex is playful and, and, and an explore a self-discovery tool for ourselves, so self-pleasure, and with others. So when we have another person reflecting their sexuality onto us, then we get to, kind of like children, have this creative, uh, imaginative, magical flow of, oh, I never, I've never done that, or oh, that looks cool, or oh, that feels nice, oh, I would have never done that, or thought of that, yum, that feels really good, oh, thank you for sharing this with me, mm, yummy. And so, um, and then there's the aspect not just of the one-on-one -on -one play, so you go to the playground with your friend, there's also group play. There's like, sensual, sexual energy with friends um, where you know there's not, there's not exactly like a um, relationship in a romantic way, but there's just sexual joy. Sex is so confined into a box in our society. Like it has to be assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, and they're having penis and vagina. 
sex. LOL, y'all. Like, that is the most basic, silly, like, sliver of what makes up sexual experience. It's a beautiful one. It's a great one. Hell yeah, baby. And also, it's so minute in the vast array of the sexual playground. Um, also, this sex as creative power comes back to, of course, the fact that we are all um, innately programmed biologically to procreate. So the reason why all of our sex organs have pleasure is because our bodies were made to, you know, prolong our species. And so if our sex organs didn't have pleasure, then maybe we wouldn't be as um, driven <laughs> to have babies, right? So um, it's just so cool that we have this pent up sexual, um, creative chemicals in our bodies and in our brains that drive us to play together. Um, so this adult playtime is an exploration of joy. It's an exploration of connection and intimacy. Um, it can be an expression of vulnerability and surrender because it's not often that we get that one-on-one -on -one, um, container where not only is someone seeing you literally in the bare, the barest form, like with no clothes, um, your most intimate spaces, right? Um, but it typically is, it also comes with private, communication and like mm, maybe you're making noises and faces and um, having experiences that most of the world will never see. So you're inviting someone into the, one of the most intimate containers that you have to offer to the world. So of course with that comes this vulnerable type of surrender. And with that um, there's this aspect of healing that a lot of people don't give credit to sex for. Um, there's, of course, so much religious condemnation and, and shame around muffling and shunning sex, which um, that's what kind of, I think, deters people from the sexual playtime vibe. Um, instead, it's like, oh, I can't express this. This needs to be hidden. I feel ashamed that I feel this pleasure. A lot of people feel like they don't even deserve pleasure. Uh, I was in the comment section, section of um, some sexy post, um, and I saw a, little, a lot of women expressing um, how they feel shame after orgasming. That was hard for me to read. It was really hard for me to read because, well, I feel fortunate to not experience that, but it is, it showed me how fucking common it is that women have been conditioned to believe that their pleasure doesn't matter and um, 
Whew, there's a lot there, um, and we'll probably explore this as we move forward. But what I'm trying to bring up here as sex is of as healing, um, especially um, in like the kink community, in the BDSM community, um, there are consensual power dynamics being explored, which contribute to deep healing in in so many ways. Now, this isn't to say people are into BDSM because they have trauma. That's a common misconception. Instead, I'm saying, and, and there's stats behind it, that utilizing safe consensual spaces like this to be held and to practice surrender is one of the most powerful tools we can use to rewire past traumatic experiences. So BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadism. And they're all acts of consensual power play. There's um, the, dom, the dominant and the submissive, daddy, baby, mistress, slave. There's so many roles. Um, this can include bondage, impact play, sensation play, financial domination. There's literally infinitely many more kinks that can, I can't even consider listing them all. But the common theme is an emphasis on trust and surrendering control, being led, being cared for, or on the flip side, um, leading and caregiving. They're all communication-based, consent-based. And you're invited to listen to your own body and its needs, its, its window of tolerance, its boundaries, their safe words and responsible practices. In fact, kink doesn't even exist without responsibility. What people don't realize is when we consensually relinquish control with another human, we are actually the ones in control, despite what it might look like from the outside, and I'll explain why. Everything experienced in the realm of kink is happening within the already agreed upon boundaries and guidelines the sub and dom have set together. So despite what it looks like, um, despite the dominant giving the commands, it is actually the sub who is determining the, the arena in which they're playing. And there is always a safe word in which either party can opt out at any time within those set guidelines. So what's beautiful about kink is this radical practice of boundaries, communication, trust, and surrender. And the surrender piece is huge. Um, as someone who kind of grew up on their own and is hyper-independent and thus in their own dominance <laughs> and masculine energy, it's quite rare that I personally have the opportunity to surrender, to be held, or truly nurtured and taken care of. So when someone steps into that dominant role for me and I, let, I get to let go and I get to be led, I get to come out of my head and into my body. And the body... Um, is where pleasure resides, because the body is where we have our senses, our sensations. Um, so similarly with pain play, when I'm experiencing high levels of pain, I'm concentrated on that sensation in my body, and thus I am in the present moment. Time doesn't exist. Everything else from the day does not exist. Like, there are no thoughts. You're just in the present moment. All that exists is each breath guiding me to that next moment, which is surrender. And surrender to me is massively healing. However, it is hard to find people I can trust to provide and take care of me 
while I'm surrendered um, or, or um, to allow me to fully surrender. It honestly reminds me of, and, and tell me if you resonate with this. So when I'm receiving body work like massage or chiropractic and I'm laying there um, receiving, I'm in such fucking reverence and gratitude for their service. It sometimes literally brings me to tears simply because this other human being is taking care of me. They're helping me. And the only thing they expect of me is to receive. And because I am usually in the caretaker role, this surrender into someone else's hands is immensely moving and thus immensely healing. And in a way, it's kind of like reparenting because, you know, as someone who maybe didn't have a lot of physical touch um, and being held and stuff like this, as a child, we're rewiring synapses in the brain to say, it's okay to receive, it's okay to be held, it's okay to surrender, it's okay to trust. Um, and, and this is the same concept as shabari, um, which is another form of kink, which is rope play. So when you're consensually tied up and constrained, you have to completely relinquish control and you have to trust your rigor, the person who's tying you, to take care of you responsibly while you surrender to the sensations of the rope which might feel foreign or uncomfortable or, or sometimes even painful. And then again, you're brought back into the present moment, back into the breath, which is honestly similar to meditation, which everyone knows has healing benefits for. The same reasons here of like connection and present moment um, and, and, and connection to the self, right? And... In other instances, when a person does have sexual trauma or abuse history, this practice of their personal boundaries being respected and valued and the reins of control being placed into their hands for perhaps the first time ever, they get to feel empowered in their sexuality for perhaps the first time ever. They get to feel sovereign. They get to reclaim their body autonomy in a nurturing, controlled environment which can ultimately assist in healing PTSD. And so it's through this, um, it's through this, so I say the word practice because when we are finding partners, and this doesn't have to be kink focused at all, this could just be your typical vanilla yum sex as well. When we are interacting with partners or a partner or ourself and we're exploring what feels good in our body, we're reclaiming our innate birthright to pleasure, okay? And we're saying, I deserve this and this feels good and I surrender into this joy instead of all these fucked up walls that have told us otherwise, okay? So when we become in tune with our body's needs and desires, we can then also become in tune with what we don't desire and what we don't need and don't want. And so that's when we can cultivate boundaries. And when we become clear on what we do and don't like, and we become clear on the boundaries, the next part of the practice is expressing the boundaries to our partners. So then we have this beautiful display of boundary making and boundary honoring. And then together with your partners, you build 
and, and, and by yourself. You don't even need a partner to do this, but that's where the play comes in, right? Is you get to build a pleasure map. What feels good? Do you like your toes sucked? Do you like your butt rubbed? Do you like your titties sucked? Do you like your ears nibbled on? Um, how will you know what you enjoy unless you're experiencing it on the playground? And so, again, like I said, some playmates are going to bring out certain things in you or request or see if you're interested in certain things that you maybe have never even thought of. And so you get to explore that together. You get to practice, and you get to practice honoring your nose. You get to practice honoring your boundaries. Like, mm, that doesn't, I'm actually not interested in that. Um, and then that person gets to practice honoring your needs and boundaries as well. So it's this epic flow of communication. Sex is the most beautiful practice of communication <clears throat> and respect. Um, so... I want to I want to speak on how um, again I've mentioned this previously, but there's so much more to sex than penetration. <clears throat> I've had sexual uh, experiences where it's literally like just hours of us kissing and then and then touching and then playing and then rolling around and then talking and then having a fucking cup of tea and then we're making out again and then massage and. Sexual energy doesn't have to be penetration. And I've had plenty of experiences that are sexual in nature, like, like I just described, that where we don't have sex. And that might be because I'm simply not like having sex at the time, you know? Um, so that's, that's an example of asserting a boundary, like, hey, I don't feel like having sex tonight, but I still definitely want to play if you're down. Nine... Point nine times out of 10? Okay, I'm just gonna say 10 out of 10. I've never had someone say, okay, you don't wanna fuck, I'm out of here. No. People are down to play because sexual energy is fucking fun. <laughs> I mean, if, so, if you say, hey, I'm not really trying to fuck, but are you down to like play? And someone says, no, bitch, you don't wanna play with them anyway. Goodbye, there's the fucking door. You know what I'm saying? And if you're that person who gets all butthurt about the person not wanting to have sexual intercourse with you, you need to fucking leave because you're no fun. You're literally no fun, okay? Also, sex doesn't have to result in orgasm. I know this is <laughs> a controversial topic, but literally, you can have plenty of pleasure that isn't orgasm. When we're orgasm-focused, like, getting to the finish line vibe. That takes, again, all the fun out of the play. Like, bro, can we just fuck around on, on the playground? You know, we don't need to make it a competition. Now, I don't want to, um, like, devalue the fact that there's a very high uh, statistic of women not um, orgasming during sexual um, play or especially intercourse with, an, with uh, like, uh, assigned female at birth and a assigned male at birth. <sighs> Again, due to like this systemic patriarchal like conditioning, because I mean, I was just watching this really fucking sexy show, um, Outlander, and there's all these fucking hot uh, sex scenes, but I couldn't help but notice that fucking like eight out of ten of them, the guy, they're like, they like have one kiss, and the next thing you know, the guy's whipping his dick out, and I'm like, 
that is so unrealistic. And then he like does like a few pumps and like and it's over and she like acts like it was great. And I'm like, bitch, stop it. Like these like Hollywood, <sighs> there's too many like um, unrealistic examples being shown to the world and especially men that that's what a woman is down for when really it's so far from what we want. Like it's so unrealistic that a woman would be kissed once and then be like, cool, do nothing else and just stick your dick in me. Like, that is not <laughs> how it works. I mean, yeah, sometimes whatever. But, like, the likelihood of that being as pleasurable as building the momentum, building the energy, like, getting the, getting the, warming up the fucking car, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much more to be had in those in-between moments that just going ramming right in is, like, so not fun. <clears throat> So I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to devalue the fact that plenty of women aren't getting seen in their own sexuality. They're not getting the pleasure that they um, deserve. And um, I guess where I'm coming from is more like there's all these other fun, pleasurable things to do that that isn't necessarily sex forward and like orgasm focused um, that could just be enjoyable as well and um yeah okay let's move forward from that so sex of course can be with a, most typically is shared with a partner but there's plenty of ways to have um self-pleasure as well and um, I would love to give people the permission to explore their bodies when they're solo in whatever ways that feels good for them I know again um, it's often, for some reason, shunned on, like, women tend to be more shamed about self-pleasure, which is so silly, because, like, every fucking girl that I know is, <laughs> most women that I know, at least, are um, pros, if you will, at self-pleasure, and they know what they want, and they know how they like it. Um, and then, of course, there are people in, intimidated by self-pleasure and they don't know their bodies just yet. And it might even be um, discouraging while they figure it out. But I will say that I know, <laughs> I've heard plenty of stories of young girls riding on pillows and finding the jet streams and hot tubs and um, grinding on couches. You know what I'm saying? Like, women like pleasure just as much as men. So... Let's just fucking get that out there. All fucking humans like pleasure. All fucking humans like sex. Um, most, I'll say, because there's definitely asexual humans out there. And there's plenty of humans out there who have been shunned from exploring what pleasure feels like to them. So they don't know that they, they enjoy it yet. Um, and so on and so forth. Or they've had experiences that have made it uncomfortable for them. Um, but... Pleasure and sex isn't fucking gender specific, you know, like women have every right to explore their bodies as much as men. And um, there are so many fun self-pleasure toys out there these days. Um, I even have some um, discount codes that I would love to share in the show notes for um, toys. So stay tuned for that shit. Um, how can we show our partners how we like to be touched if we don't know how we like to be touched? 
I think that's something significant in my own sex life is it, I think partners helped me realize, you know, it was through the play that I was like, mm, this feels good, whatever. So you're learning, right? So that's what, what's so great about play. But once you figure out, figure it out on your own and then you refine it on your own, that's when you can teach others what you like. And then sex becomes more pleasurable for everyone because they're not doing something you don't like. You're not keeping quiet because you don't know what to say. You are articulating exactly what you need. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> you're only sharing your body with people who are available to receive the feedback that you have. Um, and then there is... There's sex with one partner, but there's also sexual experiences with more than one partner. Um, group play is a whole other fun playground and, and ball game. Um, I love the aspect of group play because it goes from this like one-on-one -on -one container where you're both, <clears throat> I don't know, I feel like when you open it up, then there's three or you know three or more energies that are like observing and receiving and giving and it becomes like um again it feels playful it feels like a fun exploration of oh i see what this person might need right now or oh i want this and you get to communicate you get to broaden that communication even more you get to open it up even more you get to practice even more you get to play even more um again it takes a safe container, right? So I wouldn't recommend playing in with a group, in a group setting of you know more than two people, if you're not secure in yourself or in your partnership, or if all the people in the party of play aren't secure and clearly communicating their needs, boundaries, and desires, then you probably shouldn't be fucking doing that. <laughs> we want sex to be clear, communicative, um, consensual, and just fun. And if it doesn't feel that way, then you probably shouldn't be doing it with those people. And it's when we do things out that, that aren't honoring who we are, honoring our no's, honoring our needs, that's when we have the, um, the like, that shitty sex hangover where you're like, damn, I, sh I shouldn't have done that. I don't feel good the next day. You know what I mean? Like that was meaningless or I feel used or whatever. The only way to cure that is to stop putting yourself in those positions. We need to have better discernment. We need to have better boundaries. We need to trust that when we honor ourselves and say no to what's not serving us, then we will attract what does. Um, the more clear you become on your needs, boundaries, boundaries, and desires, the more it will become a part of your vibration and people will feel it and they won't fuck with you. They won't even approach you with that shit anymore. Your sexual energy is yours to claim and for others to honor, period, okay? No one else gets to, um, you know, decide what your sexuality means to them, okay? So own what, own what it is that you want and then live that way and be unapologet unapologetically yourself in this area and watch what happens. It's literally magic, um, also want to touch briefly on how we can be intimate and sensual with our friends. Um, 
oftentimes intimacy is put into this like romantic box. And I'm here to say that we need to normalize platonic intimacy. Um, our friends are the place we feel the safest, usually and hopefully. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to receive snuggles or hugs or um, massages. Physical touch, one of the five languages, is huge. And if we're someone who's not in a, in a romantic relationship, we're a human being who has human needs. And one of those human needs, those basic human needs, is touch, physical touch. And if intimacy with friends was more normalized, then receiving physical touch, even requesting physical touch, which is a practice I know me and my friends have, for example, if we're feeling sad and lonely, hey, are you available for cuddles? Can I come over? I'm feeling really lonely, or I really need X, Y, Z, and just being able to communicate um, our needs. I actually used to love this, this event that is no longer a thing. It died after fucking COVID, but in uh, the Boulder, Denver area in Colorado, we had this event called Cuddle and Dance, and it was literally like a several hour event where there would be, it would start with like an intimacy workshop of some kind, like um, some kind of connective thing, either like yoga or a workshop or like eye gazing, something like that, which was not mandatory, but available to you. And um, then after that, there was like tea and like a room where you could do stretching and acro yoga and uh, coloring and things like this. And then at one point, or actually at the same time on the other side of the building was a dance floor, a little dance room where there was like ecstatic dance and like uh, contact improv. And um, at the very end of the night was open mic and everybody was so, there was little um, stations all over, like little comfy, cozy, like pillows and stuffed animals and like mattresses thing, like little couches and all that where you could just hang out with friends and like snuggle up. And at the end of the night, you would all, we would all just have this huge cuddle puddle and, and um, do an open mic. And people, people who probably are usually too scared to share felt so comfortable and safe that almost, you know, everyone at one point would get up there and either sing or dance or share a poem or rap or tell a story. Um, it was such an intimate, beautiful container that I honestly miss so much. <clears throat> we need to invite people to feel that intimate connection um, outside of the romantic box because not everybody's available for romance and not everybody um, even wants that. Um, why do we limit intimacy and deep connection to something like romance. It's silly. We should be able to give head scratches and snug up on anyone that we feel safe enough to consensually share that with um, without strange sugar shames that society um, you know, projects onto us. Um, especially, I want to plug in here, especially men. Men don't have those soft outlets Men don't, like, I know it's, it's often easier for, for female friends to request, request cuddles and, um, you know, 
beheld or listened to. Men don't fucking have that, at least not as much. And one of the most radical things we can do um, in the social justice world is to make safe places for men to feel safe, seen, and heard. So here's my, you know, here's a, here's a cry for, for us to come together um, in that way. If you, can, if you can think of a man that you love in your life, what's a way that you can make him feel more comfy to be, to be seen safe and heard? And if you want to dive into more about this, tune into the Yin Yang Integration Mask Femme Integration podcast that I did last month. Another fun thing that I did with friends, um, actually one of my besties, shout out to Ellen, I love you, she came into the friend crew and just started sprinkling this thing called the sensory experience into all of our birthday parties. And basically at, at, the, at a birthday party, at one point in the night, she would have the birthday human laying down on like a massage table and then all the friends, well not all of them, whoever wanted to, would funnel in at their own leisure um, and offer little, little like, well, it was a sensory experience. So you could bring anything like chocolate or anything with flavor or scents like essential oils or like touch like massage or hot wax or um, uh, sound. Like someone did a gong bath for me when I was, when I was doing it or like uh, singing bowls, things like this. And you're just laying there and receiving all this fucking love from this group of humans who came to celebrate you on your birthday. It is pure magic, and I've never felt anything like it before, and I'm so grateful to have experienced that. Um, there's just so many different ways to um, offer intimacy that, again, is non-sexual and yet sensual, and building connection with our loved ones outside of a romantic relationship container. And that's not to say that you can't have sexual experiences with your friends either. Some of the most fun sexual experiences that I've had are with my besties because once you get to that safe place, um, you are available to explore things that maybe you wouldn't before. Um, and you know, if you can operate from a place of security and compersion, and compersion is basically the opposite of jealousy. It's wanting someone to experience the joy that you experience. So I've had um, friends as well as myself be like, I really wanna share this partner with you. <laughs> and it's a, like absolutely unique and beautiful experience to um, love someone so much that you want to share your pleasure and joy with them, um, meaning like your partners with them. And that again kind of dips into the polyamorous world, which is where I reside, so that's something to only consider if you're actually available for that. When we skirt this edge of conventional relating, we're taking our power back. We're dismantling this deeply embedded systemic patriarchy um, that tells us how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to behave, what our gender is supposed to be, all this heteronormative, um, sexual, relational experiences. And we're saying, this is me, and this is my authentic truth. And the more people who un unapologetically stand up in that, the more that we get to define what sex looks like, feels like, 
what intimacy looks like and feels like, what connection looks like and feels like. Okay, next I wanna jump into some common sex and gender phrases. Heterosexual. Hetero comes from the origin of meaning the other or the opposite. We often say the opposite sex, meaning essentially straight. But this terminology, I, I said it in air quotes because opposite makes it seem like there's only two genders, which as we've evolved as a species, we've learned that of course there is more than one gender, which is what we are exploring here now. Homosexual means homo, same. This term is outdated. Okay, so being attracted to the same sex, if you're a male identifying human who is attracted to a male, then you're gay. If it's a female attracted to female, that's lesbian. Um, I wanna talk about the phrase cisgender. So cis means on this side of, and trans means on the other side of. When we say someone is cisgendered, it means someone who, who's Gender identity is the same as what they were born with anatomically. So if you were born with a penis and you identify as a male, then you would be cisgendered. If you were born with a penis and you identify as a female, then you would be transgender. Something else I wanna clarify here is if you are a trans woman and you're attracted to males, then you're heterosexual, okay? I've seen a bunch of online bullies trying to say, oh, well, she has a penis, so isn't that gay? And I guess the reverse question there is, well then, if someone's a trans male who has a vagina, are you, as a heterosexual male, trying to date him? Because he has a vagina, so with your logic, that would be a straight relationship. So that's just some food for thought, okay? Trans women attracted to men are hetero. Trans women attracted to women, that would be lesbian. These are just examples that I think are worth noting. Now, a non-binary human is someone who doesn't fit into the binary. Binary meaning bi, too, right? So that's that... Um, original system, that outdated system of there's only male, female. So if you're non-binary, you don't subscribe to or don't relate to either gender or perhaps both and it becomes fluid. So you could also be, another term is gender fluid. It depends on how you're feeling, okay? Um, and then there are intersex humans. These are people born with um, reproductive anatomy that doesn't fit into the quote typical binary as well. Maybe they have both genitalia or whatever that looks like for them uniquely. Um, so another podcast that I listen to is called The Love and Light Confessionals and Katya always uses the, um, the reference that there are as many intersex humans on earth as there are redheads. I think that's a great way to understand that there are plenty of intersex humans right here with us right now and we need to give them more visibility. Let's see here. Then we have bisexual. So bisexual is being attracted to two or more genders, right? So it used to just be coined as 
being attracted to, quote, both male and female. But because we have, again, expanded our knowledge of genders, this can mean just two or more, okay, two or more of any of the genders. Now, sometimes people get caught up, well, what's the difference between bisexual then and pansexual? So bisexual, you could just be attracted to two genders specifically, okay? Say you're, you're solely attracted to men and women only, then perhaps you're just bisexual. But if you're pansexual, you're attracted to humans regardless of any gender or sex identity whatsoever. So you could be attracted to um, trans humans, gay humans, straight humans, fucking non-binary humans, males, females, it really doesn't matter. You just are attracted to humans. Um, I personally identify as pansexual and gender fluid. And then we have asexual people who don't typically feel sexual attraction to any gender. Although they might feel romantic connections to people, they just don't really have a big libido or sex drive. They don't really, that's, that's not how they identify. And then demisexual, we'll throw that in there, are people who only experience sexual attraction when they have a strong romantic or emotional um, connection with someone, which is much more common than people realize as well. So just to clarify, LGBTQI is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex. I'm personally so happy to live in a world um, where we are expanding our knowledge of self and feeling safe enough to share um, what's authentic to us. So please, please, please support your, your siblings, your earth siblings on what they identify with. Things like proper pronouns is literally suicide prevention and we need to do a better job at honoring what that looks like for our friends and family. So just get into the habit of even if you are, you know, cisgendered or, you know, hetero, to use and share your pronouns because it makes it safe and comfortable for other people who might have varying pronouns or sexual gender identities to say theirs out loud as well. We want this to be a safe container for everyone to be who they authentically are. Next, I wanna talk about orgasm as self-discovery. I think I've mentioned how we all seem to have some kind of origin story of finding pleasure points in the body and perhaps we have explored those pleasure points with ourselves or with others to reach orgasm. So let's chat about um, sex hormones. There's something called testosterone. It's often associated with males, but it's actually in all people. And testosterone leads to sexual desire. Now, a woman has a womb-having person has a menstruation cycle, right? So we are releasing our eggs to be fertilized by sperm so that we can procreate and have children. Well, during one week of the four-week cycle, we are ovulating. This is when we're most prone to have a child. And our hormones, our testosterone, are out the fucking roof, bro. We are like feral <laughs> creatures. And um, so these... Procreation hormones, these chemical messengers, are released into the bloodstream. Now, <laughs> this can kind of cloud our view. And these sex hormones can cloud any gender's view. In fact, we can experience this sexual confusion due to those biological pent-up hormones. 
So then all of a sudden they're released after orgasm and sometimes we have the experience of, of like, wait a minute, am I even attracted to this person? Like, not attracted, because you most likely were attracted, but like, am I even interested in this person beyond sex is what I'm trying to say. And so that's, that's kind of like the moment of truth, right? Um, and you, you might have experienced this with porn even. Like, we sometimes have that um, after porn shock where we're like, what the fuck did I just watch? Or why am I doing this? You know, we have all these pent-up hormones, all these pent-up chemicals, and we just really need this release. Um, now, what's interesting is that these feel-good chemicals that are released during the orgasm have a reproductive reward system built into it, which results in being attached to people who aren't even necessarily a good match for us. And this is what sometimes keeps us coming back, even in toxic situations, for example. These feel-good chemicals are literally addictive. The endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin. So they're released during sex, activating pleasure centers in the brain, creating feelings of intimacy, like trust or empathy, and even a sense of fidelity, aka loyalty and attachment. Attachment to people who, honestly, we don't even really want to be with. It's, this, it's, it's very interesting. We got to be careful. That's why we got to be careful with who we're sharing sex with. Um, our bodies and our hearts, they literally relax. They're in the rest, um, the rest and digest phase of the regulatory system. And when our nervous system is relaxed, we are opening up literally emotionally and physically, again, in our hearts or in our body. Logistically, 30 parts of the brain are active during orgasm. And the larger the release of the oxytocin, the more intense the orgasm. Then we get rewarded with a hit of dopamine, and that's what results in the relaxing pleasure, okay? And that's why, so in relation to the relaxing pleasure, that's why masturbation is a great, and sex in general, is a great anti-stress tool. But masturbation is a very um, responsible self-coping mechanism for relieving this sexual tension, this sexual buildup, these hormonal buildups that I was referring to, um, especially for ovulating women's, <laughs> women as a, as a form of self-care and um, self-preservation even versus seeking out meaningless um, sex that has the potential to harm us like emotionally or, or mentally. In fact, I, I think it's important if you really want to get to know someone, if you really are interested in, in uh, potentially dating someone, masturbate before the first date. <laughs> this reminds me of that, that movie, There's Something About Mary, um, where Woogie tells Ben Stiller, you're not going out there with a loaded gun, are you? And he has him masturbate, and that's when he has the jizz in his hand and puts it in his hair. Do you remember? Or sorry, no, that's not what happens. Mary comes over and sees the jizz on his ear and then thinks it's gel and puts it in her hair, and then she has that, like, faux hawk the whole night. Okay, anyways, you had to be there. Watch that movie. It's so great. Huh, okay, anywho, so masturbating before a first date, if you're actually interested in the person, can remove some of those sexual hormones so that you can actually be present and not be operating out of that um, feral veil of sexual, you know, activation. There's all kinds of orgasms, and there's all kinds of ways to get there. 
Um, from my experience, there are varying degrees of pleasure within those different orgasms. And every body is different, and that's why exploring on your own playground is the only way to figure out which you personally enjoy. Solo and shared play is how we build the foundation of that pleasure map I was referring to, which can be the, you know, ultimately the blueprint of what kind of experiences and boundaries that you want to call in and cultivate in your sexual life. Again, it always comes back to communication and building safety in your nervous system and picking safe, comfy partners that meet your needs. Um, so let's talk about a woman's uh, body for a second here. Um, the more a woman is safe in her regulatory system, the more she is relaxed, and this is for all genders, to be honest, um, but for womb havers specifically and vagina havers specifically, the more a woman is safe in her body, the more she relaxes, right? And then the more she relaxes, the more her vagina, her vulva, her body opens, even her heart. And when we are open, we're wet, we have access to deeper breaths, and honestly, the quality of your breath is, is a big determinant in the quality of your orgasm. When we are tense and we're clenching and we're just in our head and we're not present with the moment and we're, we're having shallow breathing, then we are limiting the extent to, of our orgasm. When we're relaxed and in tune and out of our head and in our body, mm. <laughs> well, I am <laughs> transporting myself as we speak. Okay, so... Um, Pulling it back, yeah. Anyways, when we are more open and breathing deep, deeper, we have a fuller access to longer and even repetitive orgasms. Now, the male body doesn't have typically um, access to more than one orgasm at a time because they have a refractory period and women, they don't have that. Or as, at least not as long, typically. So... You might be a woman um, or a vagina haver listening that are like, well, I've never had multiple orgasms. Um, and for me, my thoughts there are, or perhaps you haven't had um, a partner or the safety in your own body yet to access those multiple orgasms or access squirting, for example, is something that a lot of women are like, oh, I've never done that. I can't do that. And that's not true. All of us have access to ejaculation. All genders have access to ejaculation. It's just often the case, especially in this, you know, heteronormative patriarchal system, that women's pleasure hasn't been prioritized, and so we haven't been given permission to not only explore our own bodies, but be explored by our partners and feel relaxed and safe enough to access. I mean, that type of orgasm is so fucking surrendered, dude. It is so surrendered that you have to feel so comfortable in yourself and with your partner. So don't get down on yourself. All we can do is stay true to ourselves and cultivate safety and cultivate uh, partners who are patient and loving and um, explorative of our bodies and they want to bring you pleasure. If your partner isn't trying to build that pleasure map with you and explore your body with you and be patient with you and hear your feedback and understand your body, then they ain't it. They ain't the fuck it. All right. Um, types of orgasms vary as well. They include, but are not limited to, uh, clitoral, anal, vaginal, and then with 
the male body, prostate, anal as well. Um, okay, and I don't think that, I've, I've learned that not many women know how inaccessible vaginal orgasms are. I believe it's less than 45% of women have had vaginal orgasms. Most female-bodied orgasms are clitoral, which makes sense because the clitoris has, I think, 8,000 nerve endings. It's the most sensitive like, nerve on the entire body. We also have more, more nerve endings than the penis. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, when, when men are circumcised, with that goes some of the most um, precious parts of their genitalia. And um, when I'm with an intact male, I definitely have noticed they have um, more pleasure and sensitivity around the penis. Um, let's see. So yeah, less than half of women orgasm at all during sexual play, which is a crazy statistic. But I'm not surprised because due to porn and, and Hollywood, we see all types of unrealistic sexual inter interaction where literally men just pull it out and plow it in and there's no buildup and there's no uh, foreplay and like a few fucking, a few fucking thrusts. Do you think a woman, a woman's not going to get there with a few thrusts, okay? And is that even sex or is that having, you know, is that you masturbating with another person present? using someone else's body to masturbate, which is just fucked up, okay? There's three parts of an orgasm. It's the desire, the excitement, and then the climax, okay? So the desire and the excitement, those are the main course, baby. And then the orgasm is just the cherry on top. That's the dessert, right? Um, so pay attention to your partner's bodies, to the reactions in their bodies, their facial cues, the sounds they're making. Are they tensing up? Are they relaxing? Are they looking you in the eyes and are they craving more? Are they asking for more? Are they explicitly telling you how they want it? If they're moving your hand and telling you how they don't want it, are you listening? Are you making it about yourself and ignoring their needs? Are they... Um, unresponsive. If your partner is not squealing or squirming, they most likely aren't enjoying what's happening and just don't know how to tell you. So that's what takes, that's what makes an intuitive, yummy, fun partner is someone who's fucking paying attention to your needs when it's actually happening. And then moving around and changing things up to what you, what you like and what brings you you know, the joy and the pleasure. And again, that's what this pleasure map concept is, is, okay, let me, when I kiss her here, it does nothing. But when I kiss her here, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, when I do this and when I do that, um, and just checking in along the way of, mm, do you like that? Do you want me to do more of this? Should I do it harder, softer? Um, and, and inviting them and encouraging them to speak out their needs and, and feel comfortable doing so. We need to be paying attention to our partners. If you're not willing to pay attention to the way that their body is reacting to the pleasure, then you're not fucking having sex, okay? You're masturbating with somebody else. That's not fucking cool, and that is not how we do it, okay? This is not how we do sex. If you're not willing to be present with your partner, then get the fuck out, on period. I'm sorry if this is too harsh for some of y'all to hear, 
but um, I'm, I want people to feel safe in sex because again, this is how we redefine reality. This is how we like move forward in the world. It's by making people feel safe. And if you're there just to get your fucking, get your rocks off, then go do that alone. Go fucking do that alone. Um, stop making people feel unsafe and used in sexual settings. This creates trauma, okay? Sex needs to be a safe place. Someone is sharing their most intimate versions of self with you, and that needs to be respected. All right, let's move forward here. All right, I want to talk about size. I want to talk about why size doesn't matter. I want to talk about the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, I want to talk about penis. <laughs> There's so much stigma around penises, and it's a damn shame. Something that I think is interesting and fucked up is how men are like, Men are like conditioned to think that they can only share share themselves or share photos or like they're only sexy and hot with a hard dick. And I think, and maybe maybe some women um, are playing into that conditioning, sure. But I want men to feel safe to fucking be who the fuck they are. Like I know that titties aren't always hard, like nipples aren't always hard. You know what I'm saying? Like we're constantly in an ebb of flow of being fucking human being. A penis is just as beautiful and sexy when it's soft as it is fucking hard. You don't need to be fucking bricked up rock solid all the goddamn time, okay? I would love for that stigma to be eradicated, bro. Like, I want men to feel safe to, like, your penis is beautiful as it is. Same, 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 you know, theme here is circumcision. A baby boy is born into the world and, like, you want to slice and dice him, like, within minutes? That's fucked up, dude. Penises... Int are intact for a reason. There's so many fucking nerve endings in the tip of the, in the tip of a penis, of an intact penis, and then they go and just slice that shit off. Like that sucks for men. That really fucking sucks for men. Like if if someone tried to slice off my clitoris, and I was an infant and I couldn't even make a decision, like that's that is not okay. Like this is literally genital mutilation. Um, And for all the haters out there who, you know, men and women, all genders, who, like, have their little stigma around intact versus circumcised penis, fuck off, bro. Tell me you haven't been with an intact dick without telling me you haven't been with an intact dick. That's what I got to fucking say. Because all penises are beautiful. All penises are fucking bomb. Great. And stop hating on people who are still intact because there should be zero shame around being a fully expressed version of yourself. Like, what the fuck? Let people be who they are. Um, so again, coming back to size here is, like I was saying before, the actual penetration part of sex is so fucking minimal compared to the vast array of what you can be doing to experience pleasure that the size of the dick is literally like, I just, it's just so sad how much, um, uh, like, pressure and attention is put on the size when, like, truth of the matter is, I did a poll the other day on my Instagram, at Mama Noli, if y'all want to get at me over there. I did a poll on um, 
the size of the dick of, the size of a dick for the person who's given you the best head, for example. And the stats show that, what I'm trying to say, okay, the stats show that the size of the dick didn't fucking matter. And that the more, the, it's typically the case that the bigger the dick is, the less effort the men put in on other forms of pleasure. Which fucking sucks, dude. Because, like I said, there's so much of this other stuff to be had that if you're just going for, if you just think because you have a big dick that that's all the woman needs, you're so fucking, you're so fucking far from right, dude. You're so, you're so systemically conditioned by what this sexual story is that you, and I'm not trying to hate, like I'm sorry, like I'm actually sorry, like I feel bad because it's unfortunate that these men have these beautiful fucking tools, right? but they've been conditioned from society to be told that that's all they need. When really there's people out here with the average size and even below average size penises that are doing, giving way more fucking pleasure, way more pleasure, because they're actually taking the time to get to know their partner's bodies and build that pleasure map and um, bring them joy and pleasure and experience in all these other ways. <sighs> Please don't <laughs> give up on foreplay just because you have an above average size dick. Please fucking learn the, your partner's bodies. Please be present. Please don't rely on the size of your penis. And please, 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 please don't hate on your penis size if you're comparing it to like porn stars and whatever and like give yourself this huge bad rep around sexuality when really you're probably better in bed than most guys with monster cogs because you're taking the time to see what your, you know, see what your partner's uh, needs are. And you're um, putting in the effort to explore the body and you're putting in the effort to um, bring manual um, and oral pleasure. And you're probably a fucking freak leak because you want to explore all these other different kinks that um, perhaps you're, you're nervous that your penis size won't provide. Also, I want to throw in there that there's so many women with many different multitudes of uh, depths of vaginal canal. And I know plenty of women who do not specifically, in fact, dislike large penises because it hurts them and they can't hang and they don't want it. So your fucking penis is perfect. Find your fucking perfect match, bro. Keep, Keep going out there fully fucking confident. You know, I've been with people who's um, confidence, just, that's, that's the sexiest part about sex, like, that's the sexiest part about sex, but truly, um, it doesn't matter if, (laughs) you can, you can, your body can look a certain way, and if you're not coming correct with, like, your confidence and your game and your, like, steez, then it's not gonna be fun, okay, like, it's so much more, Mm, yum, I'm honestly just having flashbacks, (laughs) at this point and there's so much fucking fun to be had okay go on that fucking playground stop being embarrassed stop being shy stop stop limiting yourself from the amount of pleasure that's available in the world to you okay like literally let this be your sign let this be your permission slip to go out into the world as you are oh my god I want you all to experience pleasure the pleasure that you literally deserve okay so find someone that makes you feel fucking safe 
and explore with them. They're out there, they're ready, and they're willing. All you got to do is feel courageous enough. And look, you don't have to be like ultra confident. I'm just saying if you even have the courage to tell um, like a safe partner, someone that you trust and you care for, hey, look, I'm like inexperienced and a little shy and I don't know exactly what the fuck's up, but I want to. And I'm attracted to you. Are you attracted to me? Like, can we play? Can we play? Like, can you show me what you like? Can I show you what I like? Can you help me explore what I like? If you can just open up and communicate that to people that you, you trust, dude, I swear that it, it will be better received than you think. Again, the key is being, having these conversations with people that you actually trust and feel safe with. That's the key here. If you're fucking around with people who are assholes, who have one goal in mind and don't get, give a shit about you or your pleasure, none of this is going to work out. And that's another aspect of like pleasure with friends is if you already have friends who you feel safe with, you'd be surprised how many of your friends are willing to explore this with you. And then in the end, you still have a friend, okay? Some people think that when they have like some kind of like sensual sexual connection with a friend that it's going to ruin the friendship. And I, what I'll say here is then how strong is that friendship actually? The truth of the matter is some of my most fun explorations of, of sex have, have been with besties, literally besties. I've even had... <clears throat> like boyfriends where my I'm like <laughs> share my boyfriends with my besties because yeah girl you know like they they need loving too you know what I'm saying I'm also a very um polyamorous person who is comfortable with that type of thing so it's not accessible to all people like unless you're actually secure in that way I wouldn't say oh just have a field day with sharing your partners unless you're both totally grounded and secure in that way but um, there's ways to, to be more free-flowing with your sexual encounters and safe. Um, again, just always comes back to feeling safe in your system, in your body. Um, and while we're talking about safe, I want to speak on, uh, let's see here. I want to talk about STDs and stigmas like that. If you can't have a conversation <clears throat> with the person you're going to have sex with about condoms or protection or um, your health status, again, that ain't it, sis. That ain't it, Sib. Okay? You, that's not a safe partner. If someone makes you feel uncomfortable or embarrassed for checking in on your fucking health, I'm concerned for them, Okay? Not only do we need to be aware of STDs and stuff like this, um, of, when we're having sex, we're literally doing the act of reproduction. So unless you're willing to have a child with that person, there's no reason for you to be having unprotected sex. There is no reason for you to be having unprotected sex with someone you're not willing to have a child with. Um, so unless you're on some type of birth control and you both have been tested prior, why would you even risk having unprotected sex? It doesn't make any sense. And if anyone is ever pressuring you to do so, you better walk the fuck out the door. You better kick them the fuck out because that is whack. That is manipulative. That is abusive. That is fucking toxic. 
Again, here's your permission slip to never fucking talk to that person again. And warn all your besties, that ain't it, okay? I also think that having, like, us, you know, being empowered in these conversations is what's the only way it's going to make it mainstream. These conversations around protection and um, STDs and so on, that's the only way to move forward um, in a progressive way. I also want to talk on how um, STDs have all this like stigma and taboo around it when most people have had an STD. Um, first of all, let's talk stats here. About one in six people in America already have HSV2, genital herpes. And eight in 10 people, 80% of people in the US already have HSV1, so oral herpes, and just to be clear, these, these viruses don't have constant flare-ups, don't have constant symptoms. It's, it's honestly, I mean, it depends on the person, of course, but it seems to be the case that it's more like a few times a year that someone has the symptoms, if at all. So this means people in your sphere have the virus one way or another, whether asymptomatic or not, right fucking now. So if you look around your, you know, your circle, the people that you care about, the people that you love, would you care about them less if they happen to have this virus? I mean, because guess what? They fucking do. Some of them do. Some of them fucking do. And I'm just, I'm just bringing that up as a way to observe how there's this weird fucking stigma around this um, that is totally unwarranted to be honest. Um, in fact, 75 to 80% of people with the virus don't even realize that they have it <laughs> due to having no symptoms at all. The transfer rate of HSV2 is only 10% when not showing symptoms and increases to only about 20% when they are experiencing an outbreak. So this means, for example, um, a study was done where over the case of a year, um, a couple, so couples that were having sex where one partner had the virus and the other did not, over the course of a year, only 10% of the people who didn't have the virus contracted it. I mean, that's just food for thought because people think it's just so, like this huge daunting thing where like, you can catch it at any given moment. Like if someone has it, they are, um, you know, doomed for the rest of their reality. When in, in fact, let's say, um, I'm just trying to say that you only have a 10%, like the, the stats show that there's only a 10% chance of you actually contracting it if you were with someone who um, has the virus and they don't have an outbreak. And then it goes up to, so one out of 10, you know, percent. Um, and then it goes up to maybe two out of 10 if they are having an outbreak. The chances are lower than I think people are aware of and it's important to talk about. Uh, let's see. Another note I wanna make is that if you were to have symptoms, um, which is why everyone is stigmatizing this virus, right? The blisters? Okay, so keep in mind that only 20% of carriers even show these symptoms at all right, and 80% are asymptomatic. Um, but there are literally medications available right now that make the outbreaks 
almost entirely manageable and even decrease the transmission rate by 50%. So you take that 20% rate when you're having an outbreak and it goes back down to 10%. Also, while we're on transmission rates, I just want to share that you know, assigned males at birth, so male-bodied humans, transmit herpes at a rate of about 10 to 30% of the time uh, with an average of 10%, like we mentioned before. So let's, okay, so if you're in a couple with a male who has herpes and a female-bodied person who doesn't, there is a 10 to 30% chance that the female will contract it. Still low, but that's just the rate that I wanna share. Now, if you flip that and an assigned female at birth had herpes and was partnered with a male-bodied human who doesn't, and they were to share intercourse, there's only a 4% transmission rate from female-bodied humans to male-bodied humans. And I only bring that up because women are often even more stigmatized around sex generally, especially when it comes to STDs. But if you're looking at the actual statistics, at least in this case, male-bodied humans are actually spreading the virus three to seven times more than female-bodied humans or assigned females at birth. Either way, I just find it interesting that there isn't some massive fucking taboo around people who have, let's say, acne flare-ups or you know, eczema or psoriasis or other skin imperfections. I know uh, uh, fucking eczema and psoriasis both are not curable either. Um, I mean, they can be subdued, similar to herpes, right? Um, yet, for some reason, herpes specifically gets this terrible, intense reputation, which doesn't fucking make sense, dude. Like I said, 80% of people who have herpes literally never have any fucking symptoms. So what's the fucking problem, okay? And for those 20% of people who do have symptoms, it is manageable by meds. Um, and it's not, a con it's not like people who have this virus have br a breakout 365 days of the year. That is not how it works. Typically, statistically, it's only a few times a year, if that. Sometimes people get one outbreak and never have it again in their whole life. So I'm just, I'm just wanting to spread this knowledge because people seem to be fucking uneducated, uneducated and confused around herpes HSV-1 and HSV-2. Um, and we really need to just destigmatize both, especially because it's so profoundly common. And that's to say that you don't not know someone with herpes. You just don't have a society where they feel comfortable fucking telling you. And this is just perpetuating the cycle because then people feel too, too like ashamed to have open conversations about their health status. And this is just perpetuating the stigma um, and also perpetuating the lack of education going on here. Again, communication is key and a reoccurring theme throughout this conversation. And we need to normalize just not having sex with people who aren't available to be having these conversations. From here, let's dive into consent. <clears throat> consent is fucking massive. Massive, massive, massive. Again, there's no such thing as consensual sex and non-consensual sex. There's only sex and rape. 
At the same time, practicing consent is the new wave, baby. Like, this is how we do it, okay? So how do you know when you're when you're down to have sex or explore sexual things is when you feel 100% fuck yes. Not 50%, not 99%, 100% fuck yes. This means that your body is saying yes, you feel open, you feel safe. This is how you recognize it inside yourself. You're feeling turned on, you're feeling open, you're feeling relaxed, you're feeling seen, you're feeling nourished, you're feeling excited, you're feeling positive emotions, okay? You're not feeling shut down, you're not feeling questioned, you're not feeling um, unsure, okay? Because if it's a maybe, if it's a not right now, if it's a I don't know, if it's a fucking incapacitated sleeping or silence, if it's anything other than a fucking hell yes that is freely given, informed, enthusiastic, and specific, then it's a fucking no, okay? Let me say that again. If it's not a 100% fuck yes that is freely given, informed, specific, and enthusiastic, then it is a no. There is this culture for men around if a woman says no, to keep trying. I don't know where the fuck that came from. I don't even want to look into that history because I don't give a shit. That ain't it, okay? When a woman says no, maybe, I don't know, that's that, bro. Done. Done, okay? No, like, again, sleeping isn't consent. Silence isn't consent intoxication isn't fucking consent. It's a hell yes or a get the fuck out. Um, okay, so if you feel a no in your body, okay, and you're feeling unsure, right? If you're feeling the silence and the, and the I don't knows and the maybe not right nows, okay? How to feel that in your body? If your body feel constrict, feels constricted, if your body feels disconnected, if your heart feels um, unsafe or if this person, if you feel any type of pressure, if you feel any type of expectation, if you feel like scared or nervous, that's a no, baby. That is a fucking no. And if you're worried that this person is not going to like you anymore, if they don't, <clears throat> if you don't give them sex, exit the situation or kick them out or call a friend or go to the bathroom. Whatever you got to do to leave the situation because that's an unsafe person. That is an unsafe person who does not deserve your presence. They do not deserve your body. They don't deserve your intimacy. That's a no. That's a no for me, dog. Okay. And that's a no for you. <clears throat> so how do you decline? Okay. Like I said earlier, sometimes I'll be getting physical with someone and I'll just say, hey, like I literally just think, I'll feel in my body, I'll feel, okay, this is fun for me, but I, I'm getting a clear no that I don't want to have sex. I'm down to do these other things, but I, I know already that I don't want to have sex. I just say that out loud and it might feel strange at first, okay? It might feel like, oh my God, is this awkward? Fuck all that. It doesn't matter if it feels awkward or sounds awkward. Say what you got to say. So it might, it might fumble out. It's fine. But you'll get much better, better at it, I promise. So 
just say, sometimes I feel a little like weird or whatever, but I'll just say, hey, by the way, I'm not trying to have sex. Like I said, 10 out of 10, they honor that, okay? Now, they might be like, oh, really? Oh, meh, meh. But most, almost always is the case. I've never not experienced it. They're going to be like, okay, word, whatever you want. That's fine, okay? So they, maybe there'll be like a slight flavor of disappointment, but they're going to fucking hear you. And if they don't, they're gone, okay? Um, now, other thing, another, other ways to say no would be, I'm not interested in that, actually, or that's not something I'm willing to do. Mm, that's not something I'm into, or no thanks, but I'm down to do this. Um, just, you can just own it. You can own your nose, okay? You can own your nose. No one else in the room is in charge of your yeses and nose. You're in charge of your yeses and nose. And again, if anyone tries to make you feel like shit, they're fucking out. They're being fucking abusive, period. There's no getting around that, okay? If someone can't honor your boundaries and your needs and your desires, they are on some weird shit and they don't deserve access to sex, especially with you. <clears throat> Let's see here. I also want to uh, clarify that if you've had sexual experiences with someone in the past, maybe you've hooked up before, absolutely inexcusable to assume that they're down to do the same shit again. If you're someone who thinks just because you fucked someone before that you can go up to them and attempt to do those same things again, like you get a free pass, a free ride, aren't you're doing it wrong, okay? We need to be constantly checking in and constantly um, Yeah, che checking in. And so it might sound uh, excessive, let's say, if you're not used to it. But what do I mean by checking in? I'm not like you're like, excuse me, ma'am, are you willing to fuck? Like, it's not like that, dude. Like, if you have game. So when, you, when someone tells me consent's whack, it's not sexy, it's, la like, it's lame. What you're telling me is your game is weak, okay? Your fucking game is weak. That's the truth of the matter. Because you can make consent sexy as fuck. Consent looks like this when it's sexy. You're hanging out. Can I kiss you? Oh my God, bro. Everyone's going to say yes, <laughs> unless they're not. But if the person's into you, that's a beautiful way to, have, to share a kiss. It's really cute, actually. A lot of the fucking femmes in my life love when that happens. They're like, oh my God, it was so cute. He asked if he could kiss me. Um, so yeah, can I kiss you? Can I touch you? Do you mind if I take your sweater off, um, can I massage your feet? Do you mind if I kiss your neck? Other ways to do it is, oh, you're really turning me on. I really want to taste this. I really want to touch this. Are you down for that? Ooh, I really want to pleasure you. Is that something you're available for? Wow, I really want to um, put X, Y, Z in my mouth. Is that something you're, you're down for? Is that, or you can just straight up say, do you want to put your fill in the blank body part in my mouth? Because I want to taste it. Things like that, okay? There's some sexy shit you can be saying. Um, and of course, 
So the checking in value is like this. Is this okay? Do you like this? Do you like the way this feels? I can do it differently. Is there another way you'd like me to touch you? Um, how about you could do something like, um, well, of course, a really beautiful way to just make it extra clear is while you're hooking up, you could say, look, at, at any time, um, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, so let me know if you want me to slow down or stop, or let me know if you want me to change anything. Um, and so that's a beautiful segue into making the other person feel safe with consent, of course, but then also now they feel um, safe to tell you things that they like, right? So now you're inviting someone to be like um, able to tell you, oh, slow down a little, or I want more of that, less of that. Can you, can you put this? <laughs> I'm trying to be a little bit PG-13. <laughs> Not like that's fucking necessary. I kind of blew past that line, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can, um, by, by practicing all this consent yumminess, you're also making people feel safe enough to tell you what they like and what they don't like. So that's super important in having good sex. If you want to have good sex, you better be communicating. Um, you can be, like, if you don't like the way someone is going down on you or fucking you or whatever, then, <laughs> I like how I kind of whispered that, so funny then you, it's only up to you to be able to express that. And I know some people think that it's like unsexy to like have to express yourself, like to, to ask for something. Like most people wanna just have it be bomb every time, right? But sometimes if you can just casually express what you are into, they only need to hear it once. They only need to hear it once and then boom, they're on it for the rest of the times that you interact with them, okay? Now you need to give them the permission to to do that, right? You need to give them the opportunity to show you if that's the way that they are. Maybe sometimes you'll tell someone exactly what you want and they act like they hear you and then they don't fucking do it and they never do it again and they keep doing the thing that they wanna do. That to me is an unsafe partner. That's not a fun sexual partner. That's not someone who's playing with you. That's someone who's playing with themselves and there just happens to be another body. But if you feel safe enough to be like, hey, if I like it when you slow down a little, how about this? Does this feel good for you too? Because this is what I prefer they're gonna be interested in what brings you pleasure, okay? And then they might express, yeah, that feels really good for, for me too. Are you willing to do this? You're having a conversation, okay? You're having a sexy as fuck, yummy, integrated conversation. Um, again, coming back to safety. If you don't feel safe with that person, if you don't feel like um, open and transparently vulnerable with the human being, then yeah, that's probably not gonna land. And again, that's why we don't have sex with people who don't make us feel safe. Because of these reasons, this whole, this whole podcast, the underlying theme is safety and communication and boundaries. Like, if we don't feel safe, we can't communicate. And if we can't communicate, we can't give our boundaries and our boundaries can't be met. So the number one thing is to only choose partners, sexual partners that make you feel safe. <clears throat> and just know that if you're trying to have casual sex that you know, that doesn't have the basis of feeling safe, then you're probably gonna have a shitty sex hangover the next day where you regret things, okay? Um, and that never feels good. And at the same time, those are the experiences that help us define what is, what is a boundary for us, right? It's the shitty situations 
that I wish we just didn't have to have. And I'm, I'm trying to offer some insight and to avoid those things because no one wants to feel shitty the next day. But it is those shitty, those shitty um, experiences that help us like refine what we don't want to experience again, right? So <clears throat> a good way to come, become clear on what an ideal sexual partner for you is is to literally make a list of just attributes and qualities. And it's not to say that you'll only have sex with certain people that are all these things on the list. I'm just saying if you make a list, then you can become more aware of what you want and like so that when you're experiencing it, it's easier to identify. And when you're not experiencing it, it's also easy to identify. So maybe some of those qualities will be like, they're safe, they're open, they're communicative, they're experienced, they're, um, they're curious, they're freaky, they're down to try new things, they're um, expressive and um, whatever. Your list is your list, but it's good to have, like, it's, be, it's good to become clear on what we want through talking it out with ourselves first. Otherwise, we won't know what to look for when we're attracting partners. <clears throat> so let's, let's get back real quick to this consent stuff. And what I mean by checking in consistently and checking in along the way is... Um, Maybe you're making out and you're like fondling or whatever, and then you're saying, um, can I take off your pants or whatever? And then you're having like oral sex perhaps. Is this okay? Does this feel good? Checking in, seeing if it's good. Maybe they say, actually, I don't feel comfortable. Can we try something else? Boom. There, there's your, you know, there's your communication. Or they're saying, yeah, that feels really fucking good. Keep going, right? Then if things keep going, like getting aroused, they might say, oh, I really want to, <laughs> oh, flashbacks, um, but yeah, really want to try this thing. <laughs> and uh, again, them saying that, then the person can say, oh yeah, that sounds really good. Or, and this has happened to me before, I'm not really sure if I want to do that right now. And then they, they're like, okay, cool, whatever you want. And then fucking a few minutes later, because I feel so safe with this person and I feel so like attracted and like the energy is so yummy that I'm like, actually, let's do that fucking thing, right? But if it's like this pressury forced expectation vibe, then that kills the vibe, it kills the mood. People like to say that consent can kill the mood, but really non-consent is what actually kills the mood. The pressury expectation, like assuming vibe is what's killing the mood you just aren't aware. And I'm talking from the lens of the person who is against. There's so many people against consent. Ugh, cringe, fucking yikes, no, ew. If you're that person, go sit in the goddamn corner. <laughs> Checking in is sexy. Content is fucking hot. Like, it's literally just dirty talk in a question way, okay? So maybe you're just afraid of dirty talk. That's, that's a you problem, baby. <laughs> I want to also clarify that consent is not just for sex, okay? Consent goes for all types of communicating. Are you available for XYZ? So when you're, when you're talking to a friend and you want to share, like, feedback or, like, you have a problem you want to tell them or share with them or something like that, it's good to check in with them and be like, hey, are you available for me to share some feedback? Maybe they're going through a hard day and they're not available. So... 
when we like re request consent from someone, we're honoring where they're at. And, and if they're saying, no, I'm not available for that right now, but I can, can I hit you up tomorrow and we can talk about that? Boom, consent, it's beautiful, all right? Um, maybe you're, you're uh, <clears throat> a smoker asking consent of the, the homeowner that you're in, hey, do you mind if I smoke a cigarette outside? Respect, consent, you know what I'm saying? Same with pet owners. Hey, can I pet your dog? Consent, baby. Who knows if the dog is friendly or not? For children, oftentimes, you know, family members expect children to um, hug them or kiss them or be a certain way. Nah, that's not okay. We need to start teaching our children at a young age that they are sovereign human beings that can make decisions for themselves. Can I hug you? You might ask a kid. They're probably going to say yes. But if they say no, who are you to hug a kid who doesn't want to be hugged? You know what I'm saying? Same thing with something like tickling. Can I tickle you? Okay, you're having a little tickle fest. They're giggling and giggling and giggling. When they say no, stop. You fucking stop, bro. Like, who are you to invade this child's, like, privacy in their space? Like, let them get their shit together. They don't want to be tickled anymore. <clears throat> Consent is a huge spectrum that doesn't, it's not just exclusive to sex. Um, it's just a way of life. And once you start doing this, like on the norm, once you start checking in, it becomes so second nature and so easy and, and beautiful. And you'll, you'll start to see that the more like it's naturally integrated into your language, then the sexier it becomes when you're having like sexual play or the more casual it becomes when you're having these other consensual conversations. It doesn't feel forced and contrived. It feels natural and it feels really good in your system because you know you're honoring other people. And then, not to mention, you're also setting an example of how they can um, do the same thing for you and others. So we're like leading by example and building this, um, this like domino effect of how to honor each other, honor each other's boundaries and their needs and their desires. <sighs> uh, let's see, let's see here. Okay, let's talk aftercare. So aftercare is essential, it's imperative if you're practicing BDSM and kink related sex play because you're typically having intense role play and um, you're having a scene and there's a lot of psychological stuff going on as well as maybe even dysregulation in the nervous system and a responsible partner. Um, you, you definitely shouldn't be practicing kink and BDSM unless you're both having responsible sex play. Um, but with that comes responsible aftercare. And if you are practicing in the kink community, there's far more research to be had here. I'm talking more from a general lens of aftercare. Um, because, you know, general sex deserves aftercare as well. So like I said, when we're having sex and after orgasm, all these fucking chemicals are released into the brain and into the body. And what I'm getting at is we're left quite vulnerable. An easy way and a responsible way to provide aftercare with our partner is things like cleaning up together, like, or someone cleaning up the other, or taking a shower together and maybe others, they're washing each other. Um, this could look simple as snuggling, cuddling, kissing, um, maybe talking about what you enjoyed, maybe pillow talk, just chatting about whatever's coming up for you. Um, 
Maybe you um, share a spliff or uh, you're drinking water or some tea. Um, just small little connective uh, shared moments, okay? And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, what the fuck, that's cringe. If you're not available at all to any kind of form of aftercare, then you're not available for sex. You're not available for sex. If you're just trying to be one and done and get the fuck out, then you're not available for sex. You're available for a de- like uh, a masturbation. You just want to masturbate with someone else present. And fuck all that shit, okay? And maybe you're saying, well, fuck off. I like casual sex. Um, sometimes I just want to like bang without any kind of emotions. And I'm, I'm here for that. And I support you there. And like, fuck yeah, dude. And also, how are you to know that both people or however many people are, are like on the same page as you unless you're having these transparent, radically honest and open communicative conversations? So no matter what type of sex you're trying to have, what on the range of like casual to intimate, you're still needing to take the responsibility of having these conversations if you really want to be having responsible sex. Okay, Um, and if you don't want to have responsible sex, hell yeah, dude, that's fine. Just be aware that you're going to experience things like there's the potential, at least, to have things like um, that that shitty sexual hangover where you might have regret or um, maybe resent or um, disconnection, maybe even depression, because like I said. There is a biological thing happening in your system. There's like literal hormones being released and stuff. So you can say it doesn't matter. You can say you don't fucking care. But there's other stuff going on beneath the surface. So I'm just trying to um, offer some more intentional ways to go about sharing your hella potent, beautiful, sexual creative power. So once again, some easy aftercare is cuddling showering together, pillow talk, having water, having tea, fucking checking in the next day or after they leave. A a great one is checking in the next day. Um, Even if you don't plan, like you don't have any plans for like like a relationship or whatever, it's still aftercare and just plain old respect to be like, I had fun last night, just checking in, like how did that, you know, how was your experience? It's especially important when you do group play because you never know what comes up for someone during sex unless you ask. So um, a responsible way to fucking have sex is to check in the next day. Hey, I had a lot of fun last night. Just want to make sure. Did anything come up for you? Or how are you feeling today? Um, something like that. And uh, you can be present with them if they say, actually, uh, thanks for asking. It didn't. I'm thinking about it the next day and I don't really feel like that landed for me. I don't know if I want to do it again. Okay, word. I totally respect that. Or you could say, can, I, can you give me any feedback so I can take that with me into my next sexual experience or whatever? Um, constantly being open for feedback without taking things personally, which is one of those four agreements if you've read that book. But yeah, it's all about uh, communication. Again, that's that underlying theme that we keep circling back to. So to wrap it up, how can we make sex more safe and nourishing for each other? We can, it starts with us. We can practice self-discovery, self-pleasure. We can figure out our core values around 
need, our, our core values around sex, but just in general as well. Our core, core values, needs, boundaries, and desires. Um, we can become clear on what our boundaries are so that we can express them. Um, we can honor our no's, and um, if someone's not meeting us there, then we can walk away. We can honor each other's pronouns. We can uh, eliminate any kind of kink shaming. We can share our health status and remove the stigmas there. We can practice radical honesty and radical communication. We can step away from people who are not able to meet us where we're at. We are absolutely out here practicing all types of consent. We're using protection in more, in more ways than one. We are not making assumptions about others um, and assuming that they're down for things that they might have been in the past. And we're practicing aftercare as well. So I hope that you got some juicy nugs out of this podcast. I think this is a super important topic. I appreciate you all tuning in with me. Please let me know if you have any, literally any questions on this. Um, I would love to circle back around and connect with you on the socials. You can find me at, at @mamanoli, M-A-M-A-N-O-L-E-Y on Instagram. Um, you can always leave comments or reviews or whatever. Um, leave me a rating if you resonate on any of the platforms, which is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and so on. That's the easiest way you can support me is to leave a review or a rating. Um, yeah, I hope you guys fucking go out in the world in an empowered sexual way and you, you, <laughs> you have some beautiful sexual exchanges. Thank you so much. Love you so much. Ciao, ciao, darlings. <laughs> <laughs>